0: Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Danny Silman, the CEO of Relevant Sports, which puts on the Men's and Women's International Champions Cup tournaments and promotes Spain's La Liga in the United States. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Gio Reyna, Fabrizio Romano, and Elise LeHue, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Danny Silman. Our guest now is Danny Silman, the CEO of Relevant Sports, which organizes the summer games for European teams in the United States and represents Spain's La Liga in the U.S. among other things that they do. Danny, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Grant, I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, there's lots to talk about here. Um, Just to start, I think the best question would be, what does Relevant do in the soccer
1: space? That's a good place to start. So Relevant is an operator and a producer of international soccer events, bringing the top international, mainly European football clubs to the United States and to Asia for a tournament every summer. Uh, But we also produce a women's international soccer tournament that pits the top American clubs from the NWSL against the top clubs from Europe. Uh, And we've had a few editions of that. We also have a youth tournament called the ICC Futures, which is akin to what most Americans know as Little League World Series of Baseball. So it's the top uh, competition for boys and girls U15 and under, and U14 uh, down in IMG Academy in Bradenton. Really a fantastic event that brings the teams from DA Academies in the United States, MLS Academy teams, as well as academies from around the globe uh, and predominantly in Europe. Um, And then finally, we have a media business um, in partnership with La Liga, where we effectively represent the league for everything commercially and marketing-related for the Spanish Football League in the U.S. and Canada. So that's everything from media rights through event activation, content and storytelling, uh, and really promoting uh, not only the the Spanish Football League, but also the sport as a whole. And what is your
0: background? How did you get connected to the soccer space?
1: So it's it's a little bit... uh, from around the side door, as I should say, in terms of of soccer specifically. But uh, in college, I started a business that was a family office for athletes. So we created a vertically integrated financial services business, or I created a vertically integrated financial services business in partnership with my clients, where we managed everything for their families from accounting, budget planning, long-term financial planning, investment strategy, insurance planning, all in one house. And it really gave me an opportunity to help uh, over 30 professional athletes in the NBA, NFL, and MLB in protecting their family's wealth and looking at long-term wealth transfer for their children at a very young age. But it also gave me a real understanding of who are the key players in the sports business, how to deal with those, those stakeholders, and really understand the psyche and the perspective of an athlete vis a vis their relationship with team ownership, executives, uh, and coaches. So it was a great foray uh, for five years until I sold the business uh, to a group at Focus Financial Partners um, to really understand the sports landscape and, and dip my feet in. Um, and then I went to RSE Ventures. Uh, I happened to cold email Steve Ross of related companies, Miami Dolphins, Equinox. Uh, Cycle, and mentioned that I went to the Ross School of Business, told him about my my endeavor in, in the sports space with my family office business called Compass Management that I just told you about, and asked him for just general guidance on life. I had no real goal other than learning, uh, and <clears throat> push came to shove through a number of conversations and relationship we built uh, that Steve and Matt Higgins, who runs RSC Ventures, ultimately convinced me I should sell my business, which is when I sold it to Focus Financial Partners and come work for RSC Ventures, which was investing in sports, entertainment, and media companies, uh, as well as consumer brands. Uh, So I spent a few years at RSC Ventures um, in a number of different sports businesses. uh, But what's most relevant to this conversation is um, Relevant Sports Group was a portfolio company uh, of... RSE Ventures. And it gave me an initial taste into global football um, and really what the sport meant um, to communities around the world, as well as gave me my entree into Relevant, which was to actually oversee El Clasico, which was a part of the International Champions Cup in 2017. And for me, growing up as a kid, I always understood that soccer was uh, the global game it was the biggest sport in the world at that time you know you really thought of guys like Maradona and Ronaldo and you know you thought back to even Pelé which was a bit before my time um, but those are the names that you associated with the sport that were almost iconic like figures um, but I never really dove into the sport other than recognizing the importance it had in communities uh, mainly internationally um, and then El Clasico came as a part of the International Champions Cup in 2017, and I was tasked by Steve and and Matt Higgins to go build the Super Bowl uh, down in Miami as a part of the ICC that year. Um, And that was was really an opportunity for me to learn about uh, fandom in a way that I never understood, Um, to go to El Clasico a couple times in December of 16 and April of 17, uh, both in Madrid and Barcelona, and experience in the stands, the, the feeling of the game. Um, and ultimately, uh, we brought it down to Miami. It was a great success. And I actually transitioned from uh, being a, a member of the RSC Ventures team to actually joining as the CEO of, of Relevant Sports Group um, in partnership with, with Charlie Stilitano who had really built the business with Steve. Um, and it was a fantastic opportunity.
0: So what have you learned about the soccer world and and how it works, at least in, in what you do over the last few years?
1: This could be a, a five-hour to two-day <laughs> answer. So I'll give you some highlights, as you know. Um, I think from, from a fandom perspective, until you go over to Europe and you go to some MLS games here and you, you go to South America and you experience games there... Um, you really don't understand the culture of the sport, and that it's it's really a part of the communities in the different regions of Spain or England or Italy, Germany, France, Brazil, Argentina. Um, and for me to really understand the importance of the sport to the community and how the players and the clubs really drove culture in those communities, to me was was a massive learning experience. And then. To see the in-stadium experience, which is so much different than we're used to in America. There's no uh, timeout where, you know, you have cheerleaders going. There's nobody bringing beer or food to you during the match because they would never interrupt fans during an experience. Um, Down to the the experience as a viewer, you know, to our conversation earlier, being able to watch the games uh, during the season at home. um, It's just a different viewing experience than we're used to. Um, and for me, um, I was fortunate that, uh, we really have a global ambassador to, to football and Charlie, uh, still And and he took me over to some amazing matches and I got to build relationships with, um, guys like Sir Alex Ferguson and Paolo Maldini and hearing players and coaches stories at that level really enlightened me. Um, I guess the best comparison I'd give is it's like, uh, college football in America, Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, times a 1,000. There's, you know, that is the, the magnetic, magnetic feeling that you get in, in global football. Um, from, and then I learned a lot about the football business and the industry, which is very complex. And I don't know that uh, another 20 years and I have it figured out. But I can tell you that uh, I've, I've learned a great deal. And I think there's a ton of opportunity for businesses like Relevant, but also for the North American territory, and the Asian territory as hubs and platforms for football or for soccer. And what I've learned is that you, the media market in Europe has consolidated in a way that we're not used to in the United States, meaning we have Fox, ESPN, and Disney companies, CBS, NBC, Turner, DAZN, uh, Twitter, Amazon, and I'm probably forgetting a few streaming services that are all bidding on live sports rights. In Europe, because all of the major media companies have have started merging together, there's really only one, if not two, key buyers of live sports rights that have the capacity to pay the dollars these leagues are demanding in England, Germany, Italy, Spain, and France. So whether it's Telefonica, MediaPro as a media rights agency, BN Sports, Sky TV... the the opportunity in each market to grow the value of the TV rights has started to plateau. And we actually saw that in the most recent TV rights cycle for the English Premier League. So what that is telling the leagues and and a lot of the clubs who are starting to focus on long-term growth strategy is that the value that we've created over the last 20 years is not going to grow at the same level domestically or within the top territories in Europe So we need to focus on growth in the United States and in Asia. And for us, we think that that becomes an opportunity to really be a platform analogous to what China has become to the NBA or Europe has become to the NBA. The UK has become to the NFL uh, or Europe as a territory has become to the NHL in terms of finding ways to create proximity for players and for teams to participate because the International Champions Cup tournament really is a platform for competition, but it's a marketing platform for fans to come have that behind the velvet rope experience with, with the best players in the world and the best clubs in the world and to touch and feel the sport that they only get to watch on television. And that is ultimately a tool for international growth uh, for the European football business. So we have really learned um, how to navigate that. And then when you get to this territory, it's very complex. Um, Obviously um, I won't bore you nor, nor anyone listening with the relationships between FIFA, us soccer, MLS, and uh, the different rules that were created um, when the world cup came in, in the nineties. And ultimately the exemptions that were given to us soccer and creating a domestic league that didn't have promotion and relegation, uh, dissimilar from the rest of the world of, of the sport um, and then ultimately how that affects the rest of the world. So it's a long-winded way of saying that from a, from a business perspective, um, it's a very complicated uh, league or very complicated sport to manage because of the league relationships, which is different than where you have basketball, baseball, football, and hockey in the United States. It's one country, one language, one territory in one one closed system whereas football as a sport or soccer as a sport globally um is much more complex there's different languages there's different cultures there's different ways of doing business there's different exemptions in certain territories like we have in the u.s with no promotion relegation um so there's there's a lot of learning to do there from a business perspective and in understanding the football industry
0: yeah and i want to get to some of the specifics connected to that later on here i guess like the question I would have for right now, though, would be, you know, I've seen the the five-star accommodations that the top clubs in the world have when they come to play games in your tournament here in the U.S. That costs a lot of money. Um, how do you guys make money? And, and, and are you making money at this point?
1: I could start with the latter question, which is, we are we are currently still in an investment stage as it relates to the international champions cup and as it relates to the international champions cup women's tournament that we produce as well as the international champions cup futures which is our youth tournament so from a a platform's perspective with our own intellectual property that we've built we're still investing Uh, but that was always really part of the business plan because you make money three ways in in putting on and producing your own intellectual property events, which is uh, because you're really in the location-based entertainment business. You're selling media rights and streaming rights. You're selling sponsorship and you're selling tickets. So there's some ancillary revenue that goes along with your event sales uh, in terms of parking and F&B and other things like that, but it's it's relatively negligible in, in terms of your overall P&L. So it's not a complicated business. It's very similar to most sports franchises, it's media sponsorship and event sales. Um, and for us, we always knew that to build the value in a property in terms of the TV rights and sponsorship, you have to invest. You have to, you have to figure out how to connect with fans and capture the hearts and minds where they really care about what you're doing and where they want to turn up or they want to watch it on TV or they want to connect with it in terms of buying merchandise. And that takes time. So we never thought that would happen overnight. And we do believe we're on a trajectory to ultimately be a profitable business. But to your point, we've invested in creating a fantastic experience for our two stakeholders, which are the clubs and the players that participate and most importantly, the fans. So whether it's game presentation, whether it's halftime shows, like we've had Mark Anthony or uh, CeeLo or um, all sorts of artists. I I can't even think of all of them right now um, to, the experience people experience on premise, um, as well as looking at the club side, ensuring they have five star training experience, white glove service from their hotel experience at five star hotels and their spas and their training and their rehab to the logistics of getting them from place to place once they get to United States or to Asia. That's a meaningful investment, and for us, uh, we uh, we believe that we should not sacrifice anything in terms of that experience because if we want to build something for the long term that matters to the players that matters to the clubs and matters to the fans uh, we need to invest now uh, to build that
0: obviously covid has impacted everyone uh how has it impacted your business
1: it's been really tough i think on one end of our business we have no events obviously because you can't have fans and stands a lot of international travel uh travel restrictions are in place where Teams can't get here, even if we wanted to have games for whatever reason, with minimal fans in states that have regulated uh, the number of fans, but are allowing them in the stadiums. Um, So we focused on storytelling. We focused on building our content operation in order to connect with fans in a new way, and I think it's actually forced us to have a a a new outlook in terms of um, telling stories of international football and furthering. Our mission and our vision, which is to be a steward to the international game in the U.S. and Asia. So we have to deliver fans what they want in those territories, whether it's scores, whether it's highlights, whether it's storytelling about players, um, whether we, we're releasing a documentary soon um, on Ada Hegerberg, uh, which will announce our distribution partner we're really excited about. Um, and we've doubled our audience in terms of, of our, our social engagement from having multiple different uh, digital series that we've produced and then distributed, whether it's with Meg Linehan on the women's game, or it's Kevin Egan talking about our tournament as well as the return of the international leagues from the previous season. Um, or we've had insights from the EPL. Uh, we've had a series we called What to Watch. Um, so we've really figured out how do we tell stories, How do we focus on content development? We built a, a studio down in Mexico. Um, That we're able to leverage for our joint venture with La Liga, but also leverage for our International Champions Cup business. So I would tell you that the audience is growing for for the sport. The people are as engaged as ever in terms of of viewership. Um, And our audience has grown from, uh, you know, what was 4 million impressions um, back in, in January through March to almost 8 million impressions. So... Uh, we're getting a lot more engagement than we've ever had in in that space. And that's what we'll have to focus on moving forward um, to ensure that we're, even when we are bringing events back, when hopefully people are back in stadiums next summer, um, that we're still connecting with them in their homes, on their mobile devices and other places like that.
0: Obviously, it's great to have the top clubs from Europe playing exhibition games in the U.S. They're still exhibition games. And you guys have gone to court to try and get the ability to to stage actual league games from spain and and other countries in the united states you haven't been able to do that yet recently we saw the justice department uh get involved (laughs) and and start to uh say and they said that um they would they have a, I think it's an antitrust thing, uh, potentially, that might help you guys actually stage games, league, real games in the United States. Where are you on that right now, and can you talk about it?
1: Yeah, well, there, there's two parts to this. I think the first, and, and this does not involve league matches, is that we've really looked at our core international Champions Cup business and said, this has been a fantastic marketing tool for the sport, In the U.S. and Asia, it's been a growth tool for the international soccer clubs coming into these marketplaces for them to allow access to their players for fans in territories that don't typically get proximity and can't get to Europe to actually go see the matches. And for us, we've figured out that, yes, it's still exhibition and we've had conversations uh, with the clubs and with UEFA, which has been documented in the media, so I'll talk about it a bit, that we need to do something in partnership with the major leagues in Europe and with, with UEFA in order to provide fans an evolved tournament in the summer that really means something that has a stronger narrative and that connects with them. We think we woke up fans to the sport and we delivered the, the existing fans a great product in creating the International Champions Cup We've mined new fans all over the country in the United States, as well as from Singapore to China in Asia. And they've now been engaged. They're now watching the different European football leagues on the weekends uh, and the Champions League and Europa League during the week. But we need to give them an even stronger, more impactful, more important tournament. And so we've been uh, working for the past year and a half to two years on finding a partnership, like I said, with UEFA, and with the top European football leagues to be able to create something even more impactful involving uh, the International Champions Cup. So that's something that we're working on there. In terms of of league matches, I can tell you that, uh, obviously I can't comment specifically on, on our complaint in the case, but um, we are very pleased that the DOJ has made it clear that it views the FIFA market division as an antitrust violation, that the policies that they've uh, stated and that they've, um, they've made in connection with US soccer in order to protect the MLS from any competition, um, that they believe it's, it's a market division and in a clear-cut antitrust violation. So um, from our standpoint, uh, we just wanna bring these fantastic matchups and league matches to the United States and to potentially other territories. Um, but where we're focused is that we, we believe that this is an antitrust violation. We believe that FIFA is working in partnership and in agreement with U.S. soccer to protect the MLS. We're excited the DOJ has made it clear that it views this similarly to us. And we believe that ultimately fans will get to see um, matchups like European fans are seeing the NHL, the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL, um, and ultimately, that's what it's about. It's it's if you go back to the the dream team going over during the Olympics in the '90s to to Spain and the impact Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and David Robinson these guys made on the sport. And you go turn on the television like I did last night and watch Nikola Jokic, who's one of the best, most exciting players in the NBA, or turn it back a couple weeks and Luka Doncic and the experience he had you have to attribute their interest in the sport or Paul Gasol or Dirk Nowitzki back to the Dream Team and back to bringing the NBA and its star players over to Europe and the rest of the world. And the MLB has done this with bringing Ichiro last season to Japan, uh, back home for him. Um, and the NHL has done it in Europe, and I can't even name the number of NHL players from Europe. So I think it's clear that there is... Um, such an impact for fans to be up close and personal in regular season matches for all the leagues um, and to see uh, those matchups and what it means to them. And then ultimately the experience they have back at home when the teams go back, uh, go back to their, their home territories, how they engage with those fans on social media um, for new matchups, fans buying merchandise and apparel. Um, it's fantastic from a business standpoint Uh, for the growth of the game, uh, which puts more dollars in the marketplace ultimately to pay players and, and to continue to provide a great product. But from a fan perspective um, it's a fact that, that these matchups internationally have done an amazing job in, in growing the fan base and audience for international leagues um, across the world. And so uh, we're really excited. We think, um, it's a matter of time before American fans are able to see official league matches in the States. Um, and we think that there's nothing you can do, uh, to really focus on growing the popularity of the sport in America than having league matches. It's clear that this country loves soccer. Um, I mean, I'd ask you, have you ever seen more American players score goals in Europe, uh, in your entire life in one weekend? You know, you've got Claudio Reina's son, Gio Reina, you've got Pulisic, you have some fantastic Americans all across the world, um, so I think American players becoming uh, impact players in Europe and league matches, bringing international football to the states, um, along with, with the development of players here, is there's there's nothing more you could do to, to grow interest in in soccer.
0: So, from your perspective, assuming COVID, we get a vaccine. Um, either at the end of this year or early next year. How soon from your perspective, might we see a Barcelona La Liga game in the United States?
1: It's a tough question. I think it's a reality. My optimism would tell you the season of 21, 22 next season, but my, my practicality would probably tell you the following, uh, 22, 23 season. Um, it's very complex from a legal standpoint. Um, and, you know, I, it, I can't get into all the specifics, but I do believe that we will have league matches in the States. I do believe, um, like I said, it's a clear-cut antitrust violation and the agreement U.S. soccer and, and FIFA have together to protect uh, and suppress competition with the MLS. And I think that um, there's enough precedent out there with the value that this has created for the other leagues. And that's why you hear the EPL or Syria or La Liga talk about their interest to bring league matches to america and you hear it from the players perspective in terms of their excitement they come here with the international champions cup they love being in the united states um and they see the opportunity to to connect their fans
0: i've had charlie Stilitano on my podcast before and, (laughs) and and
1: we talked about a lot of different things
0: but one thing we talked about was sort of the 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 negative vibe he's gotten from some fans and 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 media in europe connected to the idea of relevant potentially being involved in the creation of a european super league and and people have been talking about a european super league for decades now i, I i've seen you know back issues of sports illustrated from like the 1980s talking about this and and it hasn't happened yet but where are you on that possibility? And has that changed now that FIFA and and their president, Johnny Infantino, have, have pushed through this uh, expanded Club World Cup?
1: I personally don't think that there will be uh, a Club World Cup or expanded Club World Cup in the way that FIFA had proposed and, and pushed through previous to COVID. I don't think they really have the support um, that they claim to have. And... I think that there's a lot of complications with their plan. Um, I I personally don't think that we're gonna see a Super League in, in our lifetime. I think that um, one of the things I've learned from the global football landscape is that um, to do that, you would need all of the, the team owners to simultaneously leave their domestic leagues. You would need them ultimately to have financing to pay for a closed league system. Um, And I think there's a number of reasons from the economics to the meaning of the domestic leagues to the communities that they're in um, that cause this from from never happening, as well as you have a few key clubs uh, being Bayern, Real Madrid and Barcelona that actually aren't controlled and owned by one individual. They're owned by the members, um, which make it very hard for even the president in both those clubs to make a decision without the board. Um, to defect from their leagues, um, and and we we've, we've seen Alex Saffron, uh, Javier Tabas, uh, Didier from League One, uh, Delpino and Luigi Diciervo from Syria, Richard Masters, um, all do a fantastic job, and in the Bundesliga as well, um, in building relationships with clubs in a way that they never have before. So. I would tell you that relevance perspective and in my perspective and that of my partners is that ultimately there won't be a Super League, uh, but there may be reforms or evolution to Champions League or Europa League or the domestic leagues in ways that we maybe hadn't seen before um, in terms of structure, timing of play, uh, distribution of matches, production uh, that will evolve what fans are looking for in terms of, of quenching their thirst for the, for fo- international football. However, I just think um, based on the job that Seferin and UEFA team have done and, and the relationships they've built with fans and, and with clubs and, and the brand they've built, you don't build that overnight. That brand takes time to build. And I don't think if somebody came with a pot of gold and said, hey, we're going to give you X billions of dollars, 12 clubs to go participate in a Super League, all of a sudden you turn the lights on and you have a brand that matters. I think the Champions League brand, the Europa League brand really matter. I think they do a fantastic job. Um, and I think the political dynamics have shifted since Seferin's taken office than previously where the clubs really did um, have a, a different relationship that wasn't as positive with, uh, with UEFA. So I think that in summary, I, I wouldn't expect a Super League anytime soon.
0: So when Johnny Infantino, the FIFA President, visits the United States recently, <laughs> like last week, yeah does do do you have any connection to that? Do you hear from him? What's the relationship there? What's your sense of what he's doing? because obviously the Justice Department just probably made his life slightly more difficult.
1: Yes, um we know Johnny, and obviously we have respect for fiFA and and the pyramid of football. Um, I don't know what he did in in terms of his meetings with with the Attorney General or the president and what they're discussing. I know that uh, our thinking is that they have number of different immigration issues to work out in preparation for the world cup of twenty six. It was rumored that they talked about a headquarters for FIFA uh, in 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 the United States uh, in the next few years. Um, so, you know, I'm not in the loop of what those specific plans are, but um I can guess that uh Gianni has a number of issues and, and as you know um is in the middle of uh, an investigation back in Switzerland and um he's he's got his hands full with you know everything going on but um I don't know specifically what they talked about
0: Got it In terms of the women's game it does seem like what you've done by staging this this tournament with a few women's teams from different countries might be the, the the seeds for a a club World Cup. Um, is that something that you would like to potentially be involved in? Like, given your given your recent relationship with FIFA, is that something that FIFA might potentially be w- willing to work with you on?
1: The answer is absolutely. We think what we're producing in the International Champions Cup, uh, with the right brand narrative around it, is effectively the best of the best clubs in the world. And we would be very excited to evolve our tournament in a way that delivers what would be the best club competition uh, globally, specifically being played in the United States and in Asia. We think those are two areas that the clubs need to build their fan bases with. And you really do that, again, by bringing the players and the clubs to town to create proximity with the fans in a way that you can touch and feel your favorite stars and I think that that would be something we'd be very excited about um, we would work with UEFA we would work with FIFA we're, we're happy to work with anybody we're independent in terms of, of the organizations um, and we have good relationships with them all in terms of we're here to be a solution for governing bodies for leagues and for clubs uh, as a store to the global game in the US and Asia um, however way that happens to be um, we do think that a real Club World Cup um, is predominantly European teams because those are the best teams in the world. And from a competitive standpoint, to have the best, best and most compelling product for fans, uh, it should be more similar to the structure of the existing International Champions Cup. However, we're we're open to having those conversations.
0: Um, in terms of La Liga, what what are what is relevant doing to add value? what La Liga is trying to do in the United States?
1: I would tell you that it starts with getting involved in grassroots, getting involved with with bringing the La La Liga brand and the club brands to uh, academies, to leagues, to camps, and building it from the the grassroots of young soccer players in the United States, as well as Canada, um, as well as creating viewing events to make the product more accessible to fans. Uh, But the biggest investment that we're making is really in storytelling. It's making sure that fans get content and and we're going to them uh, in terms of meeting them where they are. And storytelling around the La Liga clubs, uh, what's going on in the standings and and the actual competition, uh, what great plays are being made, making sure that we have proper pregame shows, highlight shows, postgame shows, and recap shows so that fans really understand what's happening in La Liga during the season. Uh, we have transfer news, um, and then we're doing documentaries or short form stories on clubs that aren't just Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid, that Villarreal and, uh, you know, Mallorca and these small cities and small clubs matter. And so for us, um, Sevilla, you name it. So for us, um, it's really important to tell stories. And so we've made 90% of our investment in La Liga's business in North America in content. And we've been fortunate to have some great supporters um, and we appreciate you being a supporter, um, but also a a number of others in terms of um, getting that brand out there and telling soccer fans uh, why it's important, telling those that aren't soccer fans why they should be paying attention to La Liga um, and with La Liga, you have a growing Hispanic population in the U.S. And predominantly um, second, third generation Hispanics uh, also have soccer in their blood. They have it in, in their family, from their grandparents to their parents that follow the sport, that know the the impact of Barca and Real and Atletico and um, down to Sevilla, uh, Valencia and the other clubs of, of La Liga. Um, and then you have, you know, the the larger population as a whole that's beginning to get more excited about La Liga football.
0: So, where do you see your company being in 5, 10 years? What do you want to be doing that is maybe different than just what you know, than all the things you're doing today?
1: Well, I think where where we're different is we have our roots in being an event production business and building the International Champions Cup. And we've transformed into a storytelling machine and a media business as well as an events business. But coming from the place that we come from, we understand how important it is to listen to fans, learn from fans, and connect with fans in a different way. So, traditional agencies, and I won't name them because I think there's a number of them that do a good job selling the media rights on behalf of European soccer leagues or international soccer leagues in the US and Asia, typically go to broadcasters. They put out an RFP, meaning they, they let all the different broadcast partners bid on the live TV rights, whether it's you know CBS, Turner, Disney, NBC, whoever it is, and they sell the TV rights, they become a broker. I can see relevant, um, I do see relevant becoming a bigger player in uh, media rights for international soccer in the US and Asia, but also producing our events. And for us, we understand it's important, if you want to grow the value of the league, whether it's through TV rights or sponsorship or event sales, you have to really be focused on creating proximity for fans and telling stories around that. So it's bringing events, it's investing in content, and it's really understanding that you can't just pop up, put an office of two people in a territory, and all of a sudden the league matters, that you've really got to make an investment. And so I think in five years, you'll, you'll continue to see relevant um, as a store to the global game, and that's really what our focus is. It's it's creating unique access and experience for fans that they wouldn't otherwise have to international football. And it starts with the ICC. It, it goes through our joint venture with La Liga. And hopefully those partnerships continue to expand with other international soccer leagues and international soccer clubs. Uh, but again, I think it's that unique perspective we bring from actually building and developing the International Champions Cup and sitting with a fan during a match and understand what they're thinking about, what they're watching, um, and then how they're consuming football content outside of the stadium.
0: Just to wrap up, I'm curious, what do you see as the biggest challenge to your growth?
1: The complexities of the, the, uh, the, the governing bodies and their relationships um, with U.S. soccer and protecting the MLS. I think that the biggest challenge in North America specifically is that there's a number of exemptions created uh, that were in order to start the MLS and that U.S. soccer has worked in partnership with FIFA uh, to protect MLS uh, in spite of growing the sport. And so they're more focused on growing the domestic league without thinking about how to grow the sport generally. And I think that we need to invest as a country and as a soccer federation in creating more diverse stars. We need our own stars. We need more Gio Reynas. We need more Christian Pulisic. We need, and we need more diverse stars. We can't just have white soccer stars. Um, I think that we need to really look at how the academies and the training have uh, have grown in Europe and take notes on how we can do that better in the United States. We've, we've, we're best in class at football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. So there's a lot of learnings that we can take from Europe and bring over here. I can tell you that the Miami Dolphins, when they were building their training facility and building their their strength and conditioning teams, visited a number of clubs from Real Madrid to Tottenham Hotspur uh, to Chelsea to understand what they're doing for their their European football clubs to bring back to the NFL. We need to have that mindset with with our domestic league, um, and I think the challenges come in that we've got to open the minds of uh, the the u s Soccer Federation and FIFA. Um, that ultimately they need to focus on understanding what fans want, which starts with league matches coming to the U.S. during the regular season, which evolves the International Champions Cup and growing the sport, and do that in partnership with the domestic league of the MLS, not uh, one or the other. I don't think it's mutually exclusive to invest in both, and I think that we need to be investing in all soccer in the United States, and that's the biggest challenge is, is the governing body relationships Uh, that frankly don't exist in the other sports.
0: Danny Silman is the CEO of Relevant Sports. Danny, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Grant.
0: Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Danny Silman as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of The Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.